My name is Marie Leconte. Welcome to The Bunker. Can the Conservatives win the next election? Even though Rishi Sunak isn't expected to call it anytime soon, it already seems to be a done deal. Labour is high up in the polls, and the government has the aura of a supply teacher who's just given up. Still, could it recover? Where do things have happened in British politics? Here with me today to look at the numbers is Ben Walker, senior data journalist at The New Statesman and co-founder of Britain Elects. Hi, Ben. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, So on August 11th, you wrote a piece titled The Polling Data That Shows the Tories Could Recover. On August 15th, you wrote one titled The Tories Are Showing How to Lose the Next Election. Are you trying to cover just all possible bases at the moment? Maybe, maybe. I don't, I don't know a journalist who doesn't do that. So I think I feel I feel comfortable in the job now, I suppose. Um, yeah, look, when you're analysing polling, you've got to do two things. You've got to separate. Well, actually, Barbara, you've got to recognise there's two types of polling. There's, there's the data, there's the history. This is, mm. this is what history shows us. And then, of course, there's the realities of life. So here's, here's an example. Right now, Rishi Sunak's Tories are trailing Gearstarmer's Labour by, what, 20 percentage points. And mm. let's say the next election is going to be October next year. That gives us, what, 400 days out, give or take. There's been elections in the past when it's been worse than that, 400 days out, and we've seen parties recover. And therefore, you you can write on history alone that Conservatives can recover. But you don't take into consideration facts such as, well, what do voters feel about the economy? What do voters feel about the leader? How do voters actually feel now is the time for change? That data, that historical data, which shows the Tories could recover, doesn't take into account the sentiment of the nation, which sounds a bit <laughs> a very puffed up way of talking about public opinion. But uh, it really is that, you know, they, they are 20 points behind, parties have recovered from worse. But when you consider the fact that the Tories are behind on the economy, which doesn't often happen, not always, but to be honest, rarely happens. And when you consider that, um, for all his faults, Keir Starmer actually leads Rishi Sunak on public likability, uh, you, you do put, well, really, yeah, you know, on paper, maybe the Tories can recover, but in actuality, they probably won't. No, so I, I quite like that because it feels a bit like me saying, technically, I could date Rihanna. We're of similar ages, you know, alive at the same time on the same planet. We have some mutual interests. So t- technically, you know, celebrities have dated normal people before. Yeah. Technically, it, I could. If you're one of those um, nerds, um, d- oh, I, I, I'm not going to admit to this. You can do probabilities. You can do the probability of meeting X person or, or whatever. If you're that nerdy, you could actually work it out. And the prob- I don't know the probability of you dating Rihanna. It's probably uh, zero point. Well, I'm, I don't want to be offensive, but... Um, you know, you, all right, we, fucking hell! Like, you know, I've invited you on here. Now you insult me in my own house. So, so sorry. But, you, you know, if, if you want to be nerdy, you can talk about probabilities. When it comes to elections, the probability of the Tories winning it's low. It's really hmm. low. It's um, if you look at history alone, it's probably one in four, which is what I said in my piece. But if you give consideration to the economy, the sentiment, time for change, the leadership likability, it's like five percent. If that, that's lower than Trump versus Biden. That's lower than, um, well, it's lower than a lot of lost causes, really. Mm. But so actually, cause like looking at that first piece, you did you did have one specific election in mind when you wrote that Sunak could like maybe potentially find a way to cling on. Could you tell us which one it was and what happened? Um, so that was 1970, um, and mm. th- this this is this is the uh, hark back to history. I don't think either of us were alive at that point. Um, so Harold Wilson, second term in, uh, you know, after well after two election victories, you had the dev- devaluation of sterling, you had the economy not uh, going so well, you had a public dis approval of Harold Wilson and his Labour Party. And you had Edward Heath's Conservatives quite bullish. They were quite optimistic. 
and then everything changed, didn't it? And you, hmm. and you, we always, when we when we look back at history, we always think the 1970 election, that Edward Heath victory, uh, was a bit of a shock because yeah. it was so close. Because the Harold Wilson's Labour Party went from a deficit, a margin behind the Conservatives, of what was it, um, thirty percentage points. They they were thirty points behind, twenty something points behind, and then they recovered that all the way up to just being behind by two points. So that was a real midterm parliament polling uh, period of huge apathy that they really sought to offset but not by much because they lost the election anyway. So yeah, the one I was talking about is, look, the margin they were behind uh, 400 days out and the margin they ended up being behind by election day was a huge, huge, huge difference. And that's the one I'm talking about. And that's what feeds into this idea that, yeah, maybe, possibly Rishi Sunak could win the election. But like I said earlier, the probability is just very low anyway. Mm. So are they actually so looking at kind of Harold Wilson's government? Like, is there any, are there any lessons here that maybe Rishi Sunak could learn? Like, is there anything at all he could look at to kind of like cheer himself up to say, actually, you know, if I did X, Y and Z, then maybe I could do that? Or actually, are the circumstances so different that actually there's not really anything to be learned from it apart from, I hope it's us? <laughs> it's just numbers. It's just, The only thing they can mm. learn is the numbers that, like, hey, look, on paper, they recovered from far worse, so maybe you could do it too. But is there any similarity? The economy was in a bit of a stay. Uh, devaluation really wrecked the Labour Party's um, credibility on the economy, mm. but they recovered because Edward Heath. Ooh. You know, actually, while I'm, while I'm, while I'm speaking this, I, I kind of just got in my head, maybe there is actually a lesson to learn. But uh, this, is, this is the thing with Edward Heath. He wasn't really that well liked. Uh, he never mm. really was, even from the outset. He always was quite, had a mixed reputation with voters. But I think what happened in 1970 was that most voters were still comfortable with a Labour government, with the idea of the need to change the country, the need to move on. Well, let's not forget, you know, if you want to talk about swinging 60s, this idea that we are a more, you know, we're, we're an evolving society. Um, and we still need to continue change. And, and I think Labour was still seen as the party of change back then. The Conservatives mm. weren't. And so the le- the lesson is, yeah, <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> no. <laughs> what what really a roller coaster you've taken us on today, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, so actually, you know, in, in the end, you do conclude in that piece that you do not believe the Conservatives will win the next election. And I have to say, I didn't exactly fall off my chair when I read that. Um, but, you know, j- j- just for the sake of really kind of laying it on a bit thick, like, wh- why do you think that is? And it does it perhaps start with cost and rhymes with sepsis? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you bang, bang to rights. And th- this is why I increasingly get just like, a little bit annoyed when every time a new issue gets briefed to the media or whatever, that we're going to talk about boats. We're going to talk about trans people. We're going to talk about mm. uh, refugees. Oh, we're going to leave the ECHR. We're going to talk about all mm. these other issues that on paper motivate or anger. No, motivate's the wrong word. That annoy, that elicit an opinion from a certain type of voter. And you think that's going to move them out of the ballot box. You think that's going to get them out. But you tend to forget that the issue that is of great import to them, the issue that is of most import to them and has been for the past uh, year and a bit, a bit longer than that really has been the cost of living, has been the crisis in inflation, in prices, in jobs, in a sense of security and a belonging. And, and that is so fundamental because a um, l- little bit of a tangent. Mm. 
we all have a whinge about money and prices. We've, we've done that in good times and bad. And my parents were always about that. You know, back in 2005, when I was growing up, uh, my parents always complained about money and uh, wish we could have a bit more and all the rest of it. But the economy was growing anyway. And I think as a country, as a media, as a class, we've just become that little bit too used to the idea of people having a whinge about the economy, having a whinge about the cost of living. And we don't properly realize just how much that whinge or that dis- disaffection or, 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 or dissatisfaction with the state of the status quo has transcended not just the permanently whinging, but all of us, middle class, upper, whatever, that we are all quite exhausted. Leave, remain, divides don't exist as much as they used to. They're still there. They'll, they'll always be there so long as we're, mm. um, the debate on Brexit is, is, is alive, but it just isn't as great a pull as it used to be. And that's why this idea that the debate can be shifted onto another issue when the cost of living hasn't been sorted, it, it, it's a, it's a non-starter. It's not it's not it's not a goer at all. And and that's why I keep saying uh, I think I've re- written like eight nine pieces. And my, my editor at the New Statesman, lovely guy, and it's all and he, and, he, and, he, and he always changes the headlines of it to the same question: is like, can Northern Ireland save Rishi Sunak? Can the budget conservatives <laughs> will this? Is do- okay. So is your editor Rishi Sunak? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's George Eaton actually. But I think think different guy. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, every time I've written that those pieces, it's always been the same answer. No, until you solve the cost of living, until you solve the issue that transcends every demographic, leave, remain, rich, poor, you're getting nowhere. And so and so these are just distractions to keep us excited and tweeting, but then they're not changing public opinion. And that's why Labour's lead has stayed resolutely at 20 points over the past six, seven, eight, nine, well, almost a year now. I wonder if there's a thing about polling here, because you, you read also lots of stuff on the Tories going on, you know, wedge issues and identifying the things where actually the country is, is actually very divided. And if you do look at the polling on some issues, obviously, you know, and as you said, Leave voters, Remain voters think differently or Tory voters, Labour voters, etc. Mm. But so actually, you know, how helpful or unhelpful is polling? Because I think that, you know, Westminster over the past year or so has become kind of obsessed with focus groups and more like qualitative kind of research and stuff. So what, you know, how much do you pull actually tell us or, or, you know, is there a problem if you can sort of get polls to say anything if you try hard enough? There were four questions in that, I think. Um, so, so on, They were, on, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> on wedge issues, there's always a wedge issue. It depends whether it matters or not to people. Depends whether it like moves you out back to the polling. So here's, here's an example. I think every Labour MP will tell you this. Like you, you have an assumption about Labour voters and, you know, they probably think they're, they're homogenous in their view, in their opinion. They're not. They're very diverse. And every Labour MP who actually knows their constituency will be able to tell you that. It's the same with green voters, actually. We always have this stereotype, don't we, about green activists being very progressive, London-centric, dyed hair, etc. You, you go for those those stereotypes. But the voters that are actually giving them these big gains recently are, are really diverse. A lot of them are like those Cameroon-type conservatives living out in, the, out in the sticks with a conscience about the environment. And then you also have some disgruntled Labour voters who actually probably about half of which well 40 something percent voted leave actually going to the greens in places like Birkenhead right and and uh, if you if you look at every party's voters a wedge issue you can divide them up as much as you like but it doesn't mm. matter because if the issue isn't important to them in deciding how they go to the polling station and you know put pencil to paper ballot um it, it, it's not as important that's why I say 
When you look at polling, don't just look at the voting intentions. They're fine, but they move. They're like the British public. They're, they're fickle, right? You, they, mm. they move around. Look at what is the number one issue that matters most to voters. Look at who they trust on what is the most fundamental issue of the hour, which is the economy. Now, you know, go mm. back to 2015, 2010, people talked about immigration loads, but it was still the economy which was a decent indicator as to who you trust to manage things, right? And, and, and that is what the economy is. It's a byword for who do you trust to keep the lights on at night? Who do you mm. trust to, you know, uh, keep, keep society going so you can send your kids to school? That's what best party in the economy means. That's why Labour leading on it is, is such a, a big thing in, in, in mm. my mind. Um, on focus groups, did you ask, did you ask about focus groups? Uh, yes, I did. Well, just in that sort of sense of, again, I found it really interesting that they've become so prominent in Westminster. Um, if anyone wants to find out more, I wrote a piece for the I newspaper on this. You can Google it. Uh, <laughs> so got to pay my bills. Um, but no, but so I guess, you know, are, are they like, where do they kind of fit in, I suppose, if you're either political parties or kind of Westminster watchers, like the, the more, yeah, qual side of things, like do they actually help? Because again, I think talking to people who conduct them, they, they mentioned that actually cost of living stuff actually came out in focus groups earlier than it did in polling. So mm. people started talking about, you know, the price of Doritos have gone up or, you know, we don't really go to the restaurant anymore. And that, that showed before it did in the kind of, you know, more like hard data. This is the thing with focus groups. They have a use, they have a purpose, but don't overanalyze them. Don't overanalyze polling. You've, you've got to learn mm. to, to know what you can use focus groups for. So I've seen them used by some papers and some people before, and um, there have been instances where they've been misused. So a focus group for the, for the mm. unawares is sometimes like half a dozen, a dozen or so people sometimes representative of a certain demographic or the entire country depends who you choose who you pick and choose we've probably all seen that thick of an episode about about a focus group and you rely on one woman to tell you no you don't do that <laughs> because what a focus group tells you is sentiment it tells you in which mm. direction are people moaning in which direction are people you know what is the first impression of something focus groups are great if you want to trial um which message has greater resonance so if you say yeah. if you go to a focus group and you say do you do you you guys all probably think it's time for a change. And if everyone nods enthusiastically, you know now that as a party, your strategy must be to go hard on the change message and very little mm. else. You know that the idea of actually doing away with the old order and putting something in new is the right way to go from that. If you just ask them, do you think now's the time for a change? And that's why, again, going back to the first question, which is why I'm so confident that the Conservatives are going to lose the election is, is most voters agree it is time for a change. You know, you have two thirds, sometimes 70% who say the next election should be a change election. This is sea change politics. This is big. This is this is a, a significant shift. But on focus groups, they tell you sentiment. They don't tell you share of the public who believe in what. Go for polling yeah. for that. If, if you want to, if you want to find what people are moaning about, having a whinge about, focus groups, councillors, MPs, they do that with their surgeries. Um, if you want to find what percentage of Britons feel about X, Y, Z, uh, look look at an opinion poll. But I have seen for, for, um, some people go to a focus group and report that not one hand went up when asked whether we should leave or remain in the ECHR or, or whatever like that. That's mm. not what a focus group is going to tell you. That that's, that's not, not yeah. helpful. 
Um, but all this are kind of talking about the, the softer feeling side of things, which can be very important. Something you mentioned in the piece, and I know that's come up in focus groups as well, is that um, I, I think you literally yeah, j- j- just say everyone's now exhausted. Like the, the, the median voter of 2023 is just knackered. I'm only, I think, barely paraphrasing. So what 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 should political parties take from that, actually? Like how, how do you appeal to voters who are just knackered and just cannot take any politics anymore? <laughs> Keep it simple, get it sorted. Nice. Yeah, you, you should get into politics. That's quite a good <laughs> Keep it. I, I I hate this. I sometimes see um, political parties put out graphics and leaflets and all the rest of it, and it's just too wordy. It's way too wordy. It, 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 you've got to keep mm. it simple. I mean, this is partly why I'm having a, a sort of debate in my head, which is: is now the time for Labour to start putting out its policies? Is now the time for Labour to start giving the detail? Because one, the public are exhausted and they're not paying attention. But at the same time, Labour still does have credibility issues. They are perceptions mm. that Labour, whilst ahead of the Tories on the economy, whilst Starmer's doing better than Sunak. There are issues with Labour. Does Labour actually have it? Is Labour right ready? So, so you've got you've got to balance that with it, with the fact in mind that other voters paying attention. So, yeah, you've got to you've got to keep the messaging simple. You've got to sort of say. Um, it doesn't have to be like this. We're going to change it. How are we going to change it? Well, you know, um, we'll tell <laughs> dot, you Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, um, actually, as I speak this, I've, I've just noticed I'm having arguments with myself as, as you ask these questions. I actually think maybe now is the time for Labour to set out its stall on certain policies, but they've got to be simple. They've got to be basic. It's all got to be about the fundamental issue of this is how we'll sort out the cost of living. This is how we'll get the prices down. This is what we'll do to make your journey time easier, to make the trains run on time. Um, don't give me any of it. Don't give me anything else. Don't don't mm. fall into this trap of debating on immigration or refugees or whatever. You know, ju- just let them fall over themselves, and then you mm. just talk about okay, right? Here's how we're going to sort out your wages. Um, but so I guess in in that case, so looking the other way, like what could at this stage Rishi Sunak do to kind of improve the party's chances? Like, is there something he could realistically do? Do you think at this stage could he do what you've just said Labour should do of kind of keeping in you know, a few quick slogans on big stuff and that's that? Or is it actually harder if you're in government already? Yeah, it's harder when you're in government to win. Uh, you've got, but you've you've got to be looking like or acting like you're solving it. You've got to make sure people feel like their lives are improving. There's, it's always always go back to that Reagan question. I think it was. Was, was it 1980? Um, in a presidential debate, he asked people on television, ask yourself, mm. over four years, do you feel like your incomes have improved or regressed? Do you feel like your life's got better or worse? And it's got to be that. It's got to be, mm. are we making your life easier compared to last year? And yeah. that's the, that, that should be the Sunak message. You've got you to say, look, we, we're in a trough now. We're trying to get you out. Do you actually feel it, though? And if voters don't feel it, they've lost the game already. But it's all about feeling it, you know, perfect example, wages, uh, fastest growth recently, right? What, what mm. was the data yeah. that came out? 7 point something percent. 7.9, I think. 7.9%, ignoring the fact that inflation's higher. So it was a real terms cut and ignoring the fact as well that, <laughs> that it depends on which industry you're in. But the Conservatives could trump that and you can probably imagine they will at PMQs, in every debate, mm. in every message, and everything briefed out to the media. But if you keep doing that and voters don't feel it, my goodness me, you're only um, expanding, enhancing that divide between what you're saying and what voters are feeling. And it only just intensifies that feeling that you're out of touch. So the thing mm. Sunak's got to do, which is almost like, um, what can he do, is to just try and make sure voters feel like they're getting better, feel like things are getting back on track for them. And I, I don't think that's a, that's a goer right now. I actually think the best thing the Conservatives can do is lose the election now, quickly, straight away, so they can recover faster in time. Mm. 
Yeah. And I guess, like, finally, so flipping it the other side, like, do you think there's a world in which Labour messes up so badly that the Tories win? And I know that normally the kind of, you know, received wisdom is that governments lose elections. It's not oppositions that win them. But is there, did you think there's a world in which, yeah, basically just, you know, Starmer just really fucks it? There's no other way to put it. Or, or is it so far gone now that actually, you know, that they'll probably win? Like, maybe not a huge majority, but they'll just win. Yeah. It's like, it's like every time Labour has a good year, it's like, right, let's have a civil war. Let's fight about it. Let's get absolutely <laughs> smashed at Liverpool Conference and, and do something absolutely stupid, um, which seems to be the, the dominant theme of the past 30, 40 years for the Labour Party. Um, uh, can they stuff it? Yes, of course. No, they never say never. This is why the the on paper probability of the Tories coming back is one in four. The the actual reality probability is closer to five percent. But you know, between that, you mm. have a chance. Um, I think uh, this this is going more, more back to strategy, and I think you have seen over the past week it sort of work in Labour's favour, which is that the Tories are trying to make last week about boats, about refugees, about the ECHR, and it's not working because Labour's not joining the fight on it. La- Labour needs to pick its fights carefully. If it joins every Tory fight on culture war, on immigration, on whatever, it pushes that issue up the agenda. It makes it compete with the cost of living, and you cannot do that. What Labour needs mm. to do is to sort of suffocate every issue but the cost of living so they can win on it. When mm. immigration comes up the agenda, when voters actually pay attention to it and and factor it into their voting decisions, that's when Labour's lead starts to fall. And we did see mm. that in April by a small margin, by a little bit. And I remember a lot of people getting excited and one very excitable individual wrote like, this is it. we can see it. We can see Sunak winning the election, <laughs> next election. No, no, no. But, <laughs> you know, it was one... Nice bottle. try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's... it's um, yeah. So, so just to, just to recap, Labour needs to talk about the cost of living and nothing else until the British public organically choose immigration as an issue they want to talk about, and they don't right now. And mm. and when they do, is when <laughs> well, you've actually got to do something. You've got to do some work, really. Yeah. And um, I don't mm. know if Labour's ready for that actually. Yeah, oh God, that's an entire other podcast, I think. Um, so yeah, no, on, on which note, let, let's stop here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for having me. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. For as little as £3 a month, you'll get access to episodes early and without adverts, as well as exclusive merchandise offers. I'm Marie LeConte and you were listening to The Bunker. Bunker was written and presented by Mally LeConte. The producer was Chris Jones, with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.